Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. There are consequences for these things. And, and, and notice in, in verse 18 of, of this Deuteronomy chapter 20, why did God have these, uh, these folks, the, the, these different nations, to be wiped out? Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they've done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. To the rock I cling. How can I keep from Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob continues in chapter 8 of the book of Joshua, but first examines why God gave Israel specific instructions to follow in each of the battles the nation of Israel would be involved in as they took over the promised land. God gave the occupants of the land over 400 years to repent of their idolatry and their sin, but they did not. As students of the Bible, we know that sin has consequences, and God will use Israel to perform judgment on those nations. Therefore, God gave specific instructions to Israel on what his plan was for the outcome. Let's follow along now with Pastor Rob as he begins today's study. They were defeated, and naturally they were very discouraged very discouraged. And just as the Lord encouraged Joshua here in verse 1, Moses also encouraged the Israelites when they were making their way to the promised land. If you remember, and you don't have to turn here, but you can write these verses down, because it's a very common theme. Fear is very real. You know, even though we may be the people of God, and even though the children of Israel were the people of God, it doesn't mean that they were any less human than you and I are. Because we have fears, we have insecurities, and they're no different than we are. Sometimes we, we, we tend to think of them as, as different than we are, but people are people. They all have the same problems, the same issues. Wherever you go in the, in the world, it doesn't matter what country, what tongue, whereabouts you go, it doesn't matter. Everyone is basically the same. Everybody wants to be loved. They want to be taken care of. Everybody wants to have food and water and clothing and a place to stay, a, place to stay, a roof over their head. Everybody wants to be uh, loved on and esteemed, looked up to. They want to feel valued, and they fear, just like everybody. And God certainly knows this. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, Moses, remember, um, he, he wasn't allowed to go across the Jordan, but he was speaking to the children of Israel. And in verse 21, he says, look, he says, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Now go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. He has. He had spoken to them. Going all the way back to Genesis, 
generations, generations ago, promises had been made by God to bring them into the land. So now Moses is speaking to them at the edge of the, on the east side of the, uh, of the Jordan River before they cross over, before uh, uh, Joshua takes over. And he says, Now go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Don't fear or be discouraged. And at the very end, toward the latter end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses now is speaking to his successor, Joshua. Near the end of Moses' life, this is in Deuteronomy 31, verse 7, and what does Moses say to Joshua? He says, Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. You're going to be the guy, Joshua. I was the guy, but I can't go because of my disobedience. I misrepresented God, and that is my consequence. And you know, with sin, there are consequences. Even though God forgave Moses, even though God forgives you for sin, there's always a consequence to sin. David experienced this very well. David was forgiven, but David also had consequences that followed him all the days of his life. He was never quite the same. Never quite the same man as the happy, jolly, sort of uh, intensely uh, artistic, and what a great warrior David was and is. And yet after his sin with Bathsheba and killing her husband Uriah, things just were never the same. The sword never departed from his house. He was in constant worry, constant panic. And the psalms, some of the richest psalms, come from that time of his life. I wonder how rich how much richer they would have been had he not sinned. But in the very, uh, in Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to Joshua after the death of Moses. And what does he say in verse 9 of chapter 1? He says, have, I, have not I commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I love that. So just, you know, in verse 1 here, as God is encouraging Joshua, he knew he was discouraged. And, you know, it is easy to be discouraged when things don't go well for us. You know, we get despondent, we get frustrated. But the thing we cannot do is throw away a promise that God has given to us just because we've suffered a setback. Every one of us suffers setbacks in life. Some people have it better than others. But if God has promised you something in the Word of God or He's promised something in your heart or through prayer or whatever... Don't throw it away because you have some bump in the road or there's some kind of fly in the ointment. Because isn't it true that in all of our lives, no matter how good you have it, no matter if you've got the best job that a, a person could want, there's always some fly in the ointment. There's always some bump in the road. Nothing is ever perfect. And it doesn't stay that way for long. If it does seem like all oh, everything is aligning and everything, all the ducks are in a row, boy, isn't that nice when you have day? Have you had days like that where you just you had a plan for the day? Maybe it was your birthday and everything was just lining up and everything went great. It just went as as planned, and you were just thrilled. And it's very unusual when any of that happens. And so there are always flies in the ointment. And God knew they would be discouraged. So notice what he says in verse 1. He says, take all the people of war with you. See, they were to be obedient to what God had spoken earlier. If you recall, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 
God was speaking to the Israelites, and notice what he said to them in verse 16. He says, But of the cities of the people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, because there were, there were cities that they would fight against or that would come against them that weren't of those seven nations that God says, When you come into the land, I want you to completely destroy everything. Don't leave man, woman, child, nothing. Destroy every single thing. And this is what he says here. He says, of those seven nations, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, wipe them completely out. Don't even mess around. Don't take their idols. Don't do anything. Everything has to die. Everything has to die. And that is really hard in the culture that we live in today because that is not politically correct. I've heard people tell me, If that's the kind of God you serve, I don't want to serve him. But see, they don't understand that God had given that that nation, those seven nations, several hundred years to repent. Several hundred years. In Genesis 15, didn't God speaking to Abram, he said, In the fourth generation, they're going to come back to this place again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were the Canaanites. They were part of that group that now the children of Israel are coming into, that they are to wipe out completely. Again, let me go back to Deuteronomy 20, because he said in verse 16, But of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Par- and the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord commanded you. And why does he do this? Is it because he just delights to kill people? Because he's Almighty God and he just has the power to just, you know, play with people's minds? Is he that cruel? Is he really that nasty that some people think of him? You know, the more I read the Bible, the more I realize how compassionate and how truly loving he is, even to those who hate him, even to those enemies of God, he still loves them. He gave them so much time. As nations, he gave them so much time. Think of that. 430 years, he gave them space to repent, and they continued in their rebellion. They knew in their hearts what they were doing was wrong, and they violated their own conscience, and they continued sacrificing their children on the altar for the Baals. They continued doing all these twisted, perverse, sexual worship services. And there came a point where God says, you know what? Enough is enough. This people has gone too far. And then judgment has to come. Why? Is it because he's just angry God? No, it's because he loves. A loving parent has to discipline a child. If you don't discipline the child, that child grows up with no morals, no values, no respect for their elders. They have no bearings whatsoever. You know this is true because we're seeing our culture come unraveled for that very thing. Parents no longer um, uh, discipline their kids anymore. Spanking has become something that if, you, even if you're in an apartment complex and somebody hears you spanking your child, they call human services or they call child services. Next thing you know, you've got somebody knocking on your door threatening to take away your child because you spanked them and someone overheard your child saying, Mommy, Mommy, don't spank me. Well, you know what? Maybe the child needs to be spanked. Not abuse. There's a difference. My mom spanked me, and I deserved every bit of it. I I deserved more than what she gave me. I know this because I tell her bad things that I did that she never knew about. But I can tell her now because the statute of limitations has already passed. I did. I remember one time we were at, my my brother and I were at, uh, I was home at Christmas in, in Florida. Uh, a couple years ago, and my mom, we're sitting there, we're just talking about memories and stuff like that. 
And my brother and I got on this kick about, Mom, did you, did you know that, remember that time when this happened? Did you, did you know that Rich did that? <gasps> Are you serious? All these years and it was him? And I said, yeah, and remember that forest, that pine forest that got caught on fire in Michigan and it wiped out a couple of acres? That was me. That was me. That was me and David next door. We set the place on fire. And it got a little, it got a little too much for us. And in a pine forest, it got away from us, and we, we had to run because we couldn't put it out. We were just playing with kids playing with matches. And she's like, that was you? I'm like, yeah. Should I go get the belt? <laughs> but see, the thing is, is I had it coming. And, and, and so there are consequences for these things. And, and, and notice in, in verse 18 of, of this Deuteronomy chapter 20, why did God have these, uh, these folks, the, the, these different nations, to be wiped out? Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they've done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Did that happen in Israel's history? Even though God had warned them several times, you better believe it. That's one of the reasons why they, they were taken captive. The northern ten tribes were taken captive into Assyria, and 722 BC. That's exactly why the northern or the southern two tribes, excuse me, Judah and Benjamin, got taken into captivity in Babylon because of idolatry, this very thing, because they didn't drive out the inhabitants. We're going to see that as we get into Joshua, that they didn't complete the job. They allowed some of the inhabitants of the land to dwell with them. They intermarried, which is something that they weren't supposed to do. Next thing you know, they're worshiping their gods. It becomes normal. It becomes something familiar. Next thing you know, you've got a whole generation that thinks it's okay. And then the culture is corrupted. And this is exactly the thing God was warning them against. And that's why he said, wipe out everything. When I tell you to do it, just be obedient. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You see, God is a jealous God for you and for me. He's a jealous God for those of his, of his people. Now, in our culture, when we think of jealousy, we think of the, the really bad things. We think of a jealous uh, husband you know, but jealousy really is, it comes about when we want to protect something. A husband is jealous because there's somebody coming after his wife. And maybe his wife is not being as discreet as she ought to be. Maybe, her, maybe uh, his wife is um, uh, doing things that she ought not to do. And so you have a jealous husband. And why is he jealous? Because he's protective. He wants her. He married her. He loves her. And doesn't love want to protect? Doesn't love want to? Now, the, the problem with jealousy today and human jealousy with imperfect people is oftentimes it leads to domestic violence where there's fights and there's shots and knives and these kinds of things. But God is a jealous God for the, all the right reasons. See, God wants to protect you and me from what he knows will harm or ultimately destroy us or destroy his people, the children of Israel. He loves them. He wants, that's why he's having them do this. Go in and wipe everything out. I don't want any remnant. I don't want anything. All their little teraphims, those little statue wooden figures, I want you to burn them. I want you to destroy everything. In Exodus chapter 20, we know this is the chapter that God gives to them, the Ten Commandments. But one of them, he says, you shall not, uh, in verse 4, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation 
of those that hate me. Remember that, of those that hate me. So forget all this generational cursing that people, you hear people talking about, well, I'm going through this because my dad sinned back, you know, three generations ago. He cheated on his wife, and now I'm paying the price for it now. No, you're just, you're being an idiot. And, you're, and you, it's because of your own sin that you're paying the price. Because you're continuing, you know, if your ancestor was an alcoholic and you continue being an alcoholic, you got what you got coming to you. Don't blame it on your, your ancestors. No, you get your heart right with God and stop making excuses. Right? That's what we need to do. But notice it says, but showing mercy to thousands. See, that's God's heart. He likes to show mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. But notice, and going back here to Joshua, and we're still in verse 1 here, take all the people of war with you. Why is this? Because look back at Genesis, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 7. Look back at verse 2. Let me just read it to you. You just turn a page back and you can see, why did God instruct them to take all the men of war? Well, because they didn't. It says in Joshua 7, verse 2, Now Joshua sent men, remember, they just had this great victory in Jericho, send men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and, sp- and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, Don't let all the people go. Underline this. This is a bad thing. Don't let all the people go, but let about about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Don't weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Just go up. They had just finished this great battle at Jericho that they had to do very little, by the way. And now they're starting to feel it. Hey, we're God's people. What does it say in Proverbs 16, verse 18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. They started to think, hey, we got this covered. We don't need to send everybody. We can just send, oh, let's just send a, I don't know, just send like a tenth of what we got. You know, these guys will continue eating and let those guys do it, and I'm sure it'll get taken care of, and, you know, another one on the bedpost. You know, we can scratch that off. Another, another one bites the dust, right? But whenever we have a victory of any kind, that is a time when we need to be most careful. Isn't it true? When we have victories in our life, we tend to get lax and we tend to rest. We tend to be lazy. King David got lazy, if you remember, in Second Samuel chapter 11. And we're not going to read that, that, that event because we know that event very well. He should have been out to battle, but instead he stayed home resting. He should have been out there, but now he's resting. And what is the old adage? Idle hands are the devil's playground. And certainly David's eyes... His idle eyes started to look over he is, as he was on top of his palace. And he looks down, and I can see this in my head. Can you? Can you see the picture? He's up on top of his palace, and he looks over, and all the, you know, there's other houses that are lower than his. And he looks over, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. Maybe she's not even aware that he's even watching. Or maybe she did know. Don't really know. But he shouldn't have been there. But we get lazy and notice in, in verse 2 it says, uh, Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Notice that the Lord now allows for them to take the spoil. Remember when they went to Jericho, they weren't to touch it at all, but now they were allowed to. See, the spoils of Jericho may have been like a first fruits, because that was God's battle. God told them the battle plan. They were just obedient. God did the miracle. They had to do very little. And it was like the first fruits of their 
escapade, or not their escapade, their mission into the promised land. God says, I want you to sanctify all those things and bring them into me for the use of the temple. And you know, you think about it, what would happen if Achan had waited? Remember in Joshua 7, just the previous chapter? They went into Jericho, and he grabs the garment from Babylon, this beautiful garment. He grabs a wedge of silver and a wedge of gold. What would have happened if he would have just waited for the very next battle? He would probably have more than he could possibly ever wanted. Probably had that and much more, but he was impatient. He was shoving the dove, (laughs) trying to get it now. I want the blessing now. I don't want to wait. Isn't that what greed does? Isn't that what the devil does to you? You've got some kind of weakness in your heart, and he says, you don't have to wait for it. Take it now. Take it now. And isn't it true that whenever we're patient, it's always better if you're patient, and then it comes to pass. It's usually much better than what you ever thought. There's no guilt involved. But that wasn't the case for Achan. He could have waited because this very next battle, he would have had more than he possibly could have wanted. But notice what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, now lay an ambush for the city behind it. You see, the Lord is very gracious. And often in the beginning of our relationship with him, he's speaking loud and clear. And our prayers seem to all be answered quickly. Remember when you first came to the Lord? It's like everything, the Bible was coming to life. And it seemed like every prayer you were praying, was there, there were answers to it. It was, it was that way for me. I just felt like I was alive for the first time. And all of a sudden, God was just like allowing me as this infant to, to just blow my mind and to, to draw me in, right? He, he threw out the candy, and he threw out some more candy, and he's drawing me in. But as, as time went on, he started throwing less of the candy. And he's like, I, got, I need you to walk by faith, son. I can't have you. I can't be spoon-feeding you all your life. You're not going to grow. I can't spoon-feed you all your life. I can't, you know, put the bib underneath you. I, I need you to get up on your feet and start to walk, and I need you to start listening and start obeying and trusting me and building that faith, right? So lay an ambush for the city, behind it. Notice that the battle plan here in AI was the second, um, the second phase of it was very different than when they attacked Jericho. You know, the children of Israel, they had to obey by faith concerning Jericho, and it made absolutely no sense to them at all. They simply had to obey. Would it make sense to you? Joshua was very skilled in military endeavors, and so he's thinking probably before the Lord spoke to him, he probably already had something planned and ready to go. But God says, you know what, Joshua? I don't need your, your, your human ingenuity. I don't need your experience. I love you, and I've given you that mind that you have. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. But there's something more important than your, your experience and your ingenuity and your smarts militarily. I'm going to do something that no one's going to understand. You won't even understand it until it comes to pass. But you be obedient. And that's what, one thing they were learning, right? And so they did. They were simply obedient. And God did the miracle. That's usually the case. We just have to be obedient. No matter how silly it seems, no matter how worthless it seems, if God is speaking to you about something, just do that thing and let him worry about the rest. Believe me, if he can speak the world into existence and create everything as intricate as it is, he can get through to you. Don't think that you're, not, you're too thick that he can't speak to you. Believe me, when the time comes, he can speak to you and you will know it and you will obey it if you're willing. But if you don't obey it, it's because you're being disobedient because he will speak to you. And notice that 
the Lord knew what was needed to attain victory, and he didn't simply allow uh, them to follow the same mold as Jericho. What worked last time may not work this time. And in this way, he keeps us dependent on him and not, you know, not on our own methods or schemes. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.